Have you ever read a, um, like a really good novel that just kept your attention? You didn't want to put it down. It's late at night or you've got to be doing something else. But you're going to read one more chapter or one more page. Uh, probably one of the things about that that makes it so interesting is that there are these different stories going on within the one big story. I remember the first time uh, I was in college when I read The Hobbit and then The Lord of the Rings. And one of the things I liked about it, but that would just kind of drive you crazy, is that you're reading the story and it, it develops you know, one set of characters who are off on this adventure and they're doing all these things. And then it'll just stop at, at, a, at, a, at a particularly exciting place and it'll jump to other characters. You know, and it picks up a story with some other people in another place and what they're doing. And you're like, ah, and then you get really interested in what's going on with them and you jump back to somebody else. It's the same way with a good movie, right? Or a good television series uh, where there's all these subplots happening within the one bigger plot. That's kind of the way that God works in our life when it comes to this, um, this thing about vision and this thing about the way he moves and works in a fellowship like Calvary, or if you're a guest today, wherever your church is and whatever God's doing uh, in, in your life. And by the way, I'm so glad you're here today. You've actually joined us in the second week of a series called On the Vision. And I'm trying to say that where I don't sound real Southern. I think it, I think it came across pretty sophisticated on the vision, on the vision. Anyway, um, where it doesn't just apply to Calvary, although that is the big context I'm absolutely talking about, and that's pretty much direct. But you, something you can take home with you too, not just for your church, but for your life. So I want it to work on a couple of different levels for us as individuals, you know, personally, for you to know your mission, your vision. But then here's what happens. God takes each one of our stories, these subplots, if you will, these stories within his big story, and he weaves them and blends them together. And he takes all of these missions and these values that he's built into us and this beautiful mosaic uh, that comes together and he gives us, as a church, as a fellowship, a vision for the future and direction and purpose. And I love being a part of that. I love being a part of that with you. And last uh, time we, we looked together at, you know, how does that get definition? You know, how do, how do we figure that out? Well, the, most <laughs> the easiest answer is everything flows out of here. We, you got to have a reference point. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, I just don't know how you can have so much confidence in a book that's like thousands of years old. And I said, I really don't know how you can live with something as shaky as today's latest blog or Internet article or fake news or real news. And then it shifts and changes and then tomorrow and everybody's all upset about this or that. And you know what? In six months and a year, it's going to be something different. I said, I don't know how you can live your life based on the headlines. This is more rock solid to me. And absolutely for us as a church, because this is all of our values flow from here. 
So this is where we go back to, to try to figure that out and to try to see, God, what are you up to and what do you want to do with me as, as an individual uh, before you? And we were singing that song a moment ago about take my life and let it be. And Lord, I, I'm yours. I'm all yours. And I thought, can you really sing that with integrity? And it's like the Holy Spirit's checking my heart with those lyrics as we're going through that. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I want to be able to sing this with honesty. And then Kevin just had to throw in there, hey, can you say that? Can you sing that same song again tomorrow? at work or in class or walk into the next building and, and you're thinking, Lord, is it still true? Not just on Sunday, but every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then for the rest of my life. I want that to be true in my life. I want that to be true of me through and through. Uh, and I want it to be that way for all of us. So our mission flows out of Scripture. And uh, the, the Scripture we looked at in the beginning was in Mark chapter 12. Uh, particularly the 30th and 31st verse, uh, because it's just a summation. It's, a, it's such a perfect definition because Jesus had all these things and everybody that came before him had all these things. They taught us and, you know, and that we, we, we try to kind of, oh, what about that? And the Bible says this. And Jesus says, well, well uh, uh, let me just wrap that up for you. <laughs> let me sum it up. I, I know that's a lot to remember, so let me tweet this to you. Let me Snapchat it, and here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the cool things grammatically about constructing that sentence is that he keeps sticking the, the chi, that, that connecting word uh, in there where he could have just listed them, comma, comma, comma. But he didn't because I think the emphasis here uh, is that, hey, I want you to do this with all your heart. It's like, pause, think about that, get that. Now, with all your soul, your suke, that part of you which is you. And he goes, and with all your mind, and it's like layer after layer, but each one is specific and standalone. And then they all flow together with all your strength so that you're his. And he says, now the same way that you apply yourself in that vertical relationship with me, I want you to take that. And then when you get so filled, I want it to overflow out into the lives of other people. You say, what other people? He goes, everybody. Because our next scripture that we looked at last time together was in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20. He says, now, here's how you put legs to it. Here's what you do next. Go. Go. Keep going. Keep going. And make disciples of who? All nations. He said, everybody, don't leave anybody out. The guy who lives next door to you, the person in the cubicle uh, next to yours, the barista you see every week, the cashier. He said, everybody, make disciples of everybody. And he said, baptize them. Make sure they come all the way through that process where they connect to Jesus. They become a follower of mine and now baptize them. He said, that's the way, you know, traditionally all throughout history and in every culture is kind of the way that you step up and make that first declaration of a public faith in Jesus is that you're baptized. And he said, you know, baptize them and then teach them. Once they're in and they're on that track, teach them to observe all the commandments that I've given you. And again, you're back, you know, here's the circle. You know, you're back and say, what commandments, Lord? There's a lot of those commandments. He goes, oh, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything will be surrounded and connected and attached to that. Because everything that Jesus ever commanded is summed up in Mark 12. Love God, love everybody. Love God, love everybody. How hard is that? So to take, you know, and I, last week I put up a, a, a diagram for you because I think like that. And um, it's, it's one that I started off in my, in my journal here. And, um, you know, it, it flowed from there to the whiteboard in the conference room here at, with the staff. And we, we looked at how everything comes from Jesus, you know, it's, and how do we know about him? It's through scripture. And so that's where our, our values begin to be formed. And out of that, we get a vision. And out of that vision comes this structure, this, the way we do things, what we look like and how that's built. And then out of that, all these ministries begin to uh, explode or develop or evolve uh, from, from that. So that's kind of the process, if there is one. And I don't like to say steps or phases because to me that feels real artificial. I never see that in Scripture. And I love the fact that particularly in the New Testament, God, uh, particularly in Pauline literature, you know, God used letters. Have you ever thought about that he could have written essays, he could have written lectures, he could have written bullet points and had a, had a, if they had PowerPoint back then, he could have just said, okay, we're going to click through the information, but he didn't. Now, I think this is really purposeful, and you may think, that's really not a big deal, or I've never even thought about that. But he used letters to express his heart and his direction for us. So, so much of what I know about Jesus, I get from Romans and Colossians and Philippians and, you know, and all these books that, are, that were actually just letters and they didn't have bullet points and they didn't have a number one, two, three. It just flowed and it flowed from his heart. But within it, there's all this, this powerful information. So we take that and, and last week we said, okay, here's the idea. And you could probably sum that up in a paragraph. And some of you, I love this about you. Some of you sent me your mission statements and your purpose and who you think you are, and you think, God, I think this is where, and, and I, I like that you took it to that level, and that you began to think like that. So let me do this. Let's take it, let's take it down. Let's break it down and make it even shorter. Here's what I came up with, and you may come up with something different, but I wanted to keep it on target and focused and really brief. I know you're thinking, Dan, brief. <laughs> Not getting it. Okay, let's make it shorter. To know Christ, to make him known to others. I know there's a lot more than that. And you go, well, what about this? And we feed the poor and we do. Yes, we absolutely, we absolutely, we're going to talk about that in a minute. We absolutely engage at every level we possibly can. But if we got to keep getting it tighter, here's the idea, to make Christ, to, to know him. I want to know you, Lord, and then I want to make you known to others. That's what we're about. That's what we're about when you kind of uh, start to, to, to nail that down. Colossians 1.18 is a scripture that became very special to me during seminary. And for three years, I saw this scripture almost every day of my life because it was over the main entrance to the seminary that I attended because it was, it was like the theme verse uh, for Mid-America. And uh, it's this, Colossians 1.18. And we actually have a uh, grandfather clock in our house, and a church gave that to us. 
And if you open the little glass door, there's a, there's a plaque on the inside, and it's this scripture. Colossians 1.18, here's what it says. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, if you're a highlighter or an underliner, um, that little last part, that in everything he might be preeminent. That covers a lot of territory. And it's not just about Sunday morning now. It's about a bigger picture that in everything in your life, he wants to have first place. Preeminent's not a word we use very often. I was, I was talking to Keith this morning. He enjoys studying English language like I do and, and just the etymology of words and things. So preeminent, here's what it means. De- de- uh, dictionary definition, it's an adjective. Surpassing all others, very distinguished in some way. I really like that about Jesus. There's an example, the world's preeminent expert on asbestos, whatever. But look at these synonyms. Just to, I'm kind of trying to give you a big idea. The leading, foremost, best, finest, chief, outstanding, excellent, distinguished, prominent, eminent, important, top, famous, renowned, celebrated, illustrious, supreme, marquee, Jesus. Jesus, you are preeminent. You are preeminent. In everything, in everything about your life and in everything about this church, Jesus is first place. So remember last week when we talked about, you know, how we, we flow from, from that idea and our values and our vision and our, and our culture produce these ministries, that that's the way it flows. Some of our values, I won't you know, spend a lot of time on this because we did talk about it last week and I can send these to you if you, if you can't write fast enough. But here's just some of the ideas so you, get a, you kind of get a bigger picture. We value the souls of the lost. I put that first because I think we lose sight of it. We value the souls of the lost. We value personal integrity. We're going to try to do the right things in the right way for the right reason. We value corporate worship. I wanted to push that as close to the top of the list as I could because from the beginning of time, Christians just felt compelled to pull together and to worship. They just did. It was such a natural thing. And I know there's a movement now to... You know, to not do that. And I'll tell you, just in a moment, I'll kind of refer to this, but I've talked to a lot of people recently. And how many people will tell me they're spiritual? <laughs> they have a spiritual life. Are you connected to a local fellowship? No. No, that's not a part of my spirit life. That's not a part of what I see as important. So I don't, I don't think church is the deal. We think it is. We think it is all the way, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, corporate worship. We value the Word of God. This is our reference point. This is our, this is our everything. We value the gifts of God's people. It's not about me. It's not about, it's us, it's him. We value 
And I couldn't figure out which word to use, and I kept bouncing back and forth, fellowship and relationship. And I don't know if you're ever studying or writing a paper, and you get stuck on a phrase or a term, and you don't know what to go. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit said, Dan, knock it off. Write them both down and keep going, <laughs> keep moving. So it's, it's really two different things, but I'm not going to get all tech and philosophical on you. We, we, we think in relationships are absolutely essential to the Christian experience and to human beings. You were created to be in relationships and to be connected to other people. That's why we use prison as a punishment. <laughs> and that's why the worst punishment in a prison is solitary confinement. Because it goes against the nature of, of who you are, what we're made to be. And that's why it leads to this other value. We value the family of God. My family is a little disconnected, a little chaotic sometimes, and I love them, but we didn't have that kind of relationship. And when at 19 I began attending church, I began to experience something totally different, new, and fresh in my life. And I was a freak. I've told you before, and I've shown you some pictures. I'm not going to show them again, that I looked different than the regular uh, church person, you know, of, of that era. And, and I thought people would be standoffish. And some were. Some were. They fully, you know, helped me realize that expectation. But some broke through the barriers and saw saw a guy in there past all the other stuff. And I began to have multi-generational relationships uh, within, within the context of a church. And I still do. I don't know where else you get that in our society. I have friends in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry, in senior adults, with millennials, with college students. With, I, I, where else do you get that? So beautiful. It's so beautiful in the family. God could see that. So we want to have this vision. Lord, where do you want to take us? We, we, we understand our values. Where do we go next? Most of you are familiar with, and you've been to Disney World or Disneyland. You've been to one or both of those. I've been to both because I was a youth minister for a long, long time. That's part of the deal. Um, one of Walt Disney's most admired traits was his ability to cast vision. He was an amazing guy in that regard. And long before anybody else could see, you know, these, these amazing, enormous theme parks... Disney was mapping them out in his head. And soon after Disney World was, com was completed, someone said, isn't it too bad that Walt Disney didn't live to get to see this? Mike Vance, who is the creative director of Disney Studios, said, oh, he did see it. That's why it's here now because he could see it. I want you to see God's vision, his mission for your life and for our fellowship. That's why we call this series Own the Vision, not see the vision or figure out what your church, where the staff's going, what's going on out there and with other people. No, it's us. It's our vision, and I want you to own it. So let's boil it down. Let's, 
Still too long, right? How about this? Let's make it shorter. Let's get it down to one word. To one word. Our mission, our vision is to connect. Connect. Connect in the dictionary is a verb. I told the guys, I said, I know this is probably going to be a little hard to project, but I want to use all four of the definitions that showed up first because I think if you could somehow put them all in your Vitamixer, your spiritual Vitamixer, see the imagery? Okay, Um, that's communication right there. That's right there. Okay, Here's here's the ideas. I want you to just put them all in there together to bring together or into contact so that a real or notional link is established. To join together so as to provide access and communication. To link to a power or a water supply. And I read that, I thought when Jesus said, I'm living waters, he who drinks of me will never be thirsty again. And I thought, yeah, I want to connect. I want want to stick a pipe or a straw into that. And associate or relate in some respect. I think I can't pick one of those because they all work in this context. Connect. I want to be connected to God. I want you to be connected to God. I want to be connected to you. I want you to be connected to each other. And I want to see you begin to help others connect to God and then connect to one another. We want to be connected to God and to each other. We want to help others to do the same. Now, I've been doing this for a little while now, and there are all kinds of expectations of a pastor, and people kind of think this is what your job is, and this is kind of how I understand your role. And usually that comes from whatever environment you were raised in. You know, whatever your background is, and, you know, if you grew up totally disconnected from that, then you don't have an idea. Uh, But if you were, whatever your pastor was like, you think, well, that's kind of what I'm going to project on that. And so your expectation, the same thing works for a church. People inside and outside uh, have these expectations of what a church is supposed to do and be and look like and how we function. I had a lady uh, last week uh, to come, and if you're here, God bless you. I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but she asked me to pay her KUB bill, and she wanted me to pay for a week in a hotel uh, for her to, to to live, and she wanted some food, and she wanted some spending money, and um, gave me two or three reasons. I'd say, is that really the reason? No, I made that down, and I kept like peeling back layers that were not truthful and trying to get down to what's really going on. And I said, well, you know, you're not really being honest with me, and I don't, I don't have all those resources. I really can't do that. That's really not what we're set up. We're not. We, we are a charity, but we're kind of. We don't have that. We're, you know, we're we just we just don't. And so as she, and I walk her back out to the front, and I, th- I think, you know, I can leave you with a prayer. I can give you some food, and I can kind of tell you some other organizations that do specialize in those kind of ministries that could probably, you know, help you and maybe kind of get you through. But as she's walking out, she's really angry at me. She's really just frustrated w- with me. And as she turned, and I've heard this expression before, you call yourself a church. And she just spit those words back in the door at me as she walked out. You call yourself a church. I thought, yeah, it really hurt my feelings. And then I had this sense of guilt the rest of the day. You know, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
it, that was her expectation of what a church that everybody that walks in, I'm going to pay your electric bill and I'm going to, you know, I think I, I can't, that's really not my, my mission. I'm sympathetic and I want to, and I hope you don't misunderstand me. I'm like, wow, Dan really doesn't care about those things. Absolutely, I do. We get one of the, I won't say every day, but two or three, I'm looking at the staff so they can kind of confirm me, two or three, four days a week we have somebody come by. We're just not set up. But you see, see what I'm talking about? The idea, the definition, the expectation on the church was that I walk in and ask something of you and demand something of you, and you do that. Now, some of you probably can track with me, even the most tender-hearted of you saying, well, I would have done it if I were you. And, and I know, and I know. But uh, sometimes even we as members do that for each other. We have these expectations of the church. And when those aren't met, then we, we get frustrated. And so we go to this one and we go to that one and that one doesn't work. And some of you do that in your relationships. You know, you, you think, well, that, you, you know, I, this isn't working for me. And so I'm going to have new friends and I'm going to just jump around. Um, there are a lot of expectations. Now, I want you to remember last week we talked about the why, what we do, and then the what, what we do. And the what flows out of the why. Why are we here? Why do we even exist? When we answer that, then we'll know what to do. That comes second. I was reading some stats. Um, 65% of people in their 20s who attended church as children and teenagers think that if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven when you die. 65% 65% of people who came up through a youth group think, yeah, if you're a good person, you go to heaven. 20% of those who've graduated high school and college believe at the end of that experience, the Bible is less true than they used to think it was. 45% didn't learn what they believed or why they believed it and cannot defend their faith with another person. 40% think same-sex marriage is okay. 45% think homosexual behavior is really not a sin. Where do you guys get that and why are you being so harsh and judgmental? You see, when you lose your values, when you lose your connectedness to Scripture, when we don't use this as the reference point anymore, it takes us in all different kinds uh, of, of directions. If he is not preeminent, something a little dangerous begins to happen. Now, I think that some of that is because, and I'm going to put this on my generation and the generation that came uh, before me is that we began to teach or to behave and to lead people in a way that was disingenuous. Now, in Scripture, it's this. You're a follower of Jesus, or you're not. A follower of Jesus behaves and thinks and functions and, you know, in a certain way, and those who don't follow Jesus behave and function and believe and think in a, in a separate kind of way. Here's what we did. I don't know how we did this, but in modern culture, I say in the 19th and the 20th, I say the 20th century, we created another category of human being, of person. 
one who is a believer but maintains the lifestyle or connections of an unbeliever. We taught a generation of people that if you pray a prayer at a youth camp, VBS, revival meeting, whatever, then you're good to go. If you get baptized, even better. That it was a ritual, an act, a moment, a decision. And then everything after that was optional. Am I right? We taught a generation, and I can't tell you how many people I've had conversations with, and you try this this afternoon, try it tonight or tomorrow. Ask somebody, are you a Christian? Most people say yes. But they will follow right back with that, and maybe you're one of these. I was one of these for a long time myself. Um, But I don't live like it. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't live like it. I think, what? When did that become an option? When did that become a third choice? You see, when that happens, it's really unnatural. It's like, do you remember Frankenstein's monster? You know, where it's somebody who's really not dead or not alive. You ever watch those zombie shows? They just creep me out. So I don't, and I couldn't even find a picture that was so, you know, not gory enough to, to throw up here for you. But you all know what a zombie is. It's somebody that's dead, but they're alive. And they're alive, but they're really kind of a dead guy. Or how about a cyborg? Somebody who's, who's part machine and part human being. You know, and it's kind of like they're both. And this is a kind of, you know, I'm kind of like a robot, but yet I'm kind of a person too. You know, and we all think that's fiction and that doesn't, you know, and maybe it's becoming true in some ways physically. I'm just trying to get you, help you to wrap your head around the idea that between this position of I'm in Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus, and no, I'm really not there that we have created something unnatural in between. Yeah, I'm a Christian on Sundays. I'm a Christian other times. That was never in God's heart. It was never meant to exist. It's weird, but we've accepted that as normal. And I believe that's why so many people, particularly in their 20s, have made that statement because they bought into something that's really not Christianity. I knew we were going to do this series uh, a long time ago, several several weeks ago, um, and I knew I was going to talk about where we are as a fellowship and not just a big church, you know, like around the world, uh, but how relevant Calvary is to our culture in Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, uh, because this is where God's put us. This is the daily focus of, of our ministry and what God's doing. So I talked to a lot of people over the last few weeks, and I made notes from some of those conversations. I would just put those in. And I've talked and listened to teenagers and college students and millenniums and middle-agers and mature people and non-Christians and Christians and Christians from different denominations and backgrounds. Here's some of the thoughts I heard and ideas. Just listen to this, just real quick, real quick. We're tired of religion and big institutions. We don't get that. Church began to feel so irrelevant. It's just not that important to me anymore. I'm done with church. 
But I like Jesus, <laughs> this girl said, Market Square. I'm done with church, but I like Jesus. I like him. Don't you know? I've got enough guilt and shame as it is. Why go to church and get judged and loaded down with more of that? Who needs that? I'm not mad at Jesus. I just don't like church people. They make me uncomfortable. I'd like to see more authenticity. I'd like to see more of Jesus and less of all that other stuff. If that happened, I think I'd come back. I'd try it again. You know, sometimes within that same conversation, I miss that belonging part of being in a church. I kind of liked that. I want to be a part of something where I can serve and experience a greater purpose. I want to be connected. I want to be in on something bigger than me. I want to make the world a better place than it is. I've heard people say, you know, I go and I you know, feel like you've got to be perfect or you're just not going to be welcomed or it's just too old-fashioned. I just, uh, I just can't. And you know, the people are too political or they're exclusive or it's insincere or... You know, one lady, I went to a concert and um, I met a lady and, and I try not to say I'm a pastor because everybody goes, you know, acts different on me. But um, and so I said, I'm, you know, I'm doing this project, <laughs> sermon series. I'm doing this project and you know, just doing some research about this, about religion in America, religion in Knoxville. And I'm being honest so far. Um, and, and I said, you know, well, what, do you, what do you think about this and everything? And she says, um, she was gay and she said uh, um, she felt like Christians are mean to, to lesbians, gays, and transgenders, and that just doesn't fit with the Jesus that I know. And I thought, you know Jesus, you know, and, and, um, and, and the, 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 what I've heard. And, and I asked her, I said, do you think I'm being judgmental to you right now when I, when I, when if, I, if I just kind of expose the fact that um, I take a biblical position about sexual behaviors? She goes, oh, no, no, I don't, no, you are, you're nice. She said this, I promise this. She said, I'm talking more about like those pastors of churches. <laughs> I thought, there's no way I'm going to tell you now what I do. What I do. And I said, you know, I'm talking about pastors, you know, those people, those, you know, I thought, you mean like right-wing conservative middle-aged white guy pastors? Yeah, me too. <laughs> they drive me crazy. You know, I want to be defensive about things like that. And I want to say, yeah, you've got us all wrong. We're not like that. If you took time to get to know us. And I think they're probably thinking the same thing. If you took time to get to know us. But you see, it doesn't matter because if we're perceived that way, then we've got to come up with solutions. Not compromises to our values, to our biblical position. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, we can't be arrogant. We can't be self-righteous. We never compromise our faith. We never compromise our values. But folks, we have got to find ways to connect with and to love people wherever they are, whatever their life's about. That is my vision. This series is called On the Vision because it's not just my vision. Because people aren't so concerned about our style. They want to know what is our substance. I've been here a long time. I've been in ministry a while. And I tell you, sometimes my vision gets dim. And sometimes I've not always led from the heart. 
and I get tired and discouraged, apathetic just like you. But I've spent a lot of time recently looking at that and repenting and seeking the Lord and praying, God, how do I go forward? How does this church go forward? He's touching and healing my heart. And I want him to touch and to heal yours and our communities. We're not going to make a difference in other people's lives until our life is different. Let me just share this one little scripture with you, and then we're going to go and you can uh, get uh, pizza, tacos, whatever's on your mind right now. And um, but I, I, let me just share this, and then then we're 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 done we're done for today, and uh, and we'll pick up there. And I got one other thing I want to talk to you about in this within this series. But in Mark chapter one, I just want to show you this example of what happened. And what does happen? What does happen? Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Now, Jesus has been in the synagogue. Jesus went to church. And um, you know, the most spiritual person ever lived was Jesus. He felt it necessary to go to church. <laughs> so Jesus is in church, and he just breaks out. He's doing all these healings, and he's doing all this cool stuff, and these crazy things. And he does that. And then they go. It's time to take a break. They're going to go you know, get something. So they go to Simon and Andrew. You remember Simon. Uh, they go to his mother-in-law's house. Now, his mother-in-law is really sick. She has a fever. In Luke's gospel, he says she has the great fever. So what they would do is say small fever, little fever is like sickness. Now you got the flu, you're sick, you're, you know, you're going to miss a couple of days of work. But no, when they say great fever, it means she's dying. She's got something terminal. So that's where we come into the story. He immediately left the synagogue, verse 29, and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Just right away, the minute they got to the house, they said, well, we've got to tell you what's going on here. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. She began immediately, Udas, you know, all at once. And I love this. He lifted her up. And that word lifted up literally means to rouse as if from sleep or obscurity or inactivity, to wake up and then to get up as if from apathy or to rise up against an enemy. Jesus lifted her up. And what was her response? When Jesus touches you and it says he came to her, And that verb means he literally moved towards her. She's sick. She can't move. So Jesus, he makes the distance. He goes to her. He lifts her up. And this healing and this love and this power flows from him into her. And her life is changed. And she gets up. What's the first thing you do? She starts serving. (laughs) And it literally means, you know, that she would start feeding them. You boys must be hungry, healing all day. That's got to take it out of you, right? So here, let me, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some spaghetti or what, you know. So she's, she gets, and she starts serving them and taking care of them. Do you know why? And I could show this, it's just a metaphor. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration, but it's what happens again and again and again and again in Scripture. You get healed. God touches you. He changes you. 
And the next thing is, it doesn't say, and so she started attending church regularly on Sunday mornings. <laughs> she joined a missions. Or, no, you know what? She started serving because that's how you tell who's been touched and who hasn't. That's how you tell that Jesus has changed your life. Jesus wants to lift and to heal you. And when he does, you're going to know. And then we're going to know because you're going to start serving. You're going to find a way to connect. You'll talk about it. You'll make a difference in real ways in other people's lives that connect them to God and to each other. You'll find a place uh, to reach out with your personal abilities and gifts. And the thing I love about it is that God uses your personality. He doesn't change you. He doesn't make you weird or, you know, like, oh, we don't even know you anymore. No, everybody still knows you, but he just starts flowing through you. You get to be yourself, okay? He's not going to ask you to do something, you know, well, he might. You begin giving. (gasps) You know, the average Christian manages his money almost identically like non-Christians. 37% of people who attend church three times a month give nothing. Very few Christians, very few, like 2-3% tithe. You know what? If you're not investing and you're not serving, you don't own this vision yet. So that's what this message is about. I'm calling you out to begin celebrating and worship, to begin testifying through water baptism. If you hadn't followed through and taken that step, let's do that. Let's get that taken care of. And then let's figure out ways to connect other people to Jesus. Robert came and he shared about big fish. I think that's a good illustration because as a staff and as a church, we're trying to look at ways that we can reach Sequoia and Sutherland and Bearden and West Hills and this place where God put us. What are ministries? What are ways we can connect people to Jesus? And that's one of the things that God brought to us. What are some ways you're going to do that? Sometimes we keep ministries. Sometimes they've run their course and it's time to release them. Sometimes they just need changing. We're ready to go into a future with a vision. God says, you keep your values, but you might change ministries and the way you do things. That probably is true for you on a personal level as well. Let's take a minute and just pray about that. Let's take a minute as individuals and seek the Lord. Say, God, what do you want me to do next? Last night, about midnight, I wrote this last sentence says, just because your ability to shame people is supernatural, it's not spiritual gift. <laughs> Don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. 